everybody. This is Rich Phipps, and I'm the lead pastor of Grace Collective Church. Welcome to our podcast. Whether you're a part of our local church family or a part of our online community, we're so glad that you're here. Enjoy the message. So depending on how you slice it, how you do the math, how you, how you use the numbers, there are about 16,000 people groups in the world. Think about that. 16,000 different types of people, people groups, based on things like uh, geography and, and language and ethnicity and belief system and culture. 16,000 different people groups in the world. Now you think about that for a moment and it's just, wow, the wonder of how amazingly creative our God is. 16,000 different styles of people. That's amazing to me. But what else is, is amazing, but, but not in a good way, is that of those 16,000, nearly 7,000 of those people groups are unreached with the good news of Jesus. Nearly 7,000 people groups in the world still have yet to hear or be impacted by the good news of Jesus. They've either never heard the gospel or there's such a small influence that it does not have the, that doesn't have the movement to make any lasting impact in the people group as a whole. That's a lot of people in the world. In fact, one-third uh, of... Uh, bring, it, bring it back to our, our own country. Uh, in, in our U.S. alone, there are about 350 unreached people groups in the United States. Now, like 95% of the, the world's UPGs or un, uh, unreached people groups, they are in a, in a certain window of the world over in Southern Europe and Asia, but 350 people groups in our country have never heard or never bent their knee to the name of Jesus. That equals about one-third of the population of the United States who needs to have a relationship with Jesus. Now, here's the, I'm going to call it good news about all of that. Here's the good news of this for you and me. You and I are living in perhaps the greatest pre-Christian era in our nation's history. Never before in the history of the United States have, have, has witnessing been so easy. We have people all around us every single day. You live by, work with, go to school with, your family with. You're raising people who need to know Jesus more than ever before. Now, why is that good news again? Because you get to share Jesus with them. Now, some of you are like, that's not really good news. I'm not really that much into sharing my faith with other people. And if that's your thought, you're not alone. Did you know that only 19% of Christians in the United States proactively share their faith. 19%. Today we're going to talk about why that is a problem and what God says about it and why there is great news attached to it. But first, let's review uh, for a few moments. First of all, we're thankful that y'all are here. Thank you for skating across the parking lot for, for, that uh, we tried to get salted but didn't get salted. Thanks for joining us online. If you're online with us, we're super glad that you are with us. Feel free to, to type in the chat like where you're from, and we'd love to know that how far our reach is beginning to, to reach. But let's review for a few moments together. Uh, we are in this message series called Who's your one, where we're talking about reaching the lost in the name of Jesus. 
Now, the first week I asked you, are you willing to fight for the lost? Are you willing to do whatever it takes in your life or or out of your life to fight for the people who are yet to be impacted by the good news of Jesus? Will you do whatever it takes? Will you fight against your fear, fight against your pride, fight against your comfort zone? Will you fight for whatever they have around them so that they can hear the good news of Jesus? That was week one. Will you fight for them? Last week, we went back and we kind of laid a foundation over uh, underneath all of this, and we looked at the fact that Jesus said something really offensive to many of us in the church today. He actually said, he actually said, he celebrates more the lost person who comes to Christ out there than all of us who already know Christ in here. And that felt a little bit offensive, right? It sounds like, hey, Jesus, you're, you're more concerned about the people out there than you are us who've, who've been trying to be faithful to you. That just feels a little bit unfair or offensive. You know, we even said that according to what Jesus said, you know, he told this parable about one lost sheep and 99 found sheep. And it felt like Jesus was saying, hey, one is greater than 99. But listen, we don't want to mix that up at all. They're not more loved They're just more urgent. So remember it that way. So let me do this for a moment. Let me me just break off on a small detour and talk about what lost and saved mean because we didn't really do that last week. And if you've never been in church or been a while or maybe not familiar, uh, those are terms we want you to understand. So we're going to talk about lost and saved. Lost is how God actually describes somebody who is not living in a relationship with him. Lost is, is how God describes someone who's not a follower of Jesus. If that's you, I probably just offended you. Like you're thinking, lost. I'm not lost. I've got a, a great life, a great wife, I've got great kids, I've got a good job, I'm making a difference in my sphere, in the world. I've got a really pretty decent life going right now. I am not lost. Hey, that stuff is all great, but if you are living without Jesus in your life, then you are living without His presence and His power in your life. People, listen, people who live without Jesus will always live below the, the destiny or, or the, the desire God has for you. You always live below what you could be. Always live below where you should be. One church I know says it like this, and I love this. People who follow Jesus don't just have better lives, they are better at life. Does that make sense? They don't just have better lives, they're better at life. You, if you're following Jesus, you, you, you're a better husband, you're a better wife, you're a better mom, you're a better dad, you're a better brother, you're a better sister, you're a better worker, you're a better employer. You're just better at life when you are a follower of Jesus. Just because of the things that Jesus... Even if, you're not a, even if you don't believe in everything Jesus said, if you just follow what He said, if you just follow the commands... You're a better person in life because of it. If you live with Jesus, that describes you. If you're living without Jesus, then that doesn't describe you. And you don't have hope for after this life. This is why God calls you lost. Now, if I just offended you with that, I'm sorry. But that's just what God teaches. But don't don't tune out. In fact, let me invite you to lean in closer because what we're talking about through this entire month of, of, of messages can change your life. God wants to celebrate something in your life. So that's people who are lost, saved are people, again, who have believed and received what Jesus has done to forgive us of our sin, make us better in and at this life, and we have the assurance of what happens after this life. So saved are living with and for God, the lost are people living for things in this life and living without 
God. Jesus said he gets more amped up over people who are lost that give their lives to Jesus than the rest of us who already have given our lives to Jesus. Again, not more loved, just more urgent. And because Jesus said, that's why he came, like, I have come to seek and save the lost. If we're following Jesus, then we've got to do the same. And so that's why at Grace Collective, what we're doing is we are creating a culture of rescue rather than a climate of comfort. Let that sink in for a moment. We are creating a culture of rescue rather than a climate of of comfort. It is more important for us to work and give and build to get the lost, to get to the lost what they need than keeping us satisfied with what we and the inside want. Okay, no one's walking out. That's good news. But no one said amen either but one, so I'm not sure. We're kind of on, you know, split ground. Let's keep going. If last week was maybe one of the most offensive things Jesus said, and, and by the way, maybe you weren't offended by last week. Maybe last week was like, hey, this is all good. Like, let me just tell you what happened on Wednesday night. Wednesday night um, was the very first night we had crew life. So like, if your kids are kindergarten through fourth grade, Wednesday night is designed for them. Downstairs, Marsha and the team, they've got this amazing crew life going. We had a, like a dozen kids down there last, last past Wednesday. And then I met with parents up here about, hey, do you think it would be a good idea to start a life group for parents while your kids are downstairs? We'll do a life group right here at the church. For, for y'all. They're like, yeah, let's do that. And we talked about the offensive message of, of Sunday while we were meeting. Um, and they're like, no, that wasn't offensive. That was great. We want to, I love millennials. Millennials just like, let's go get the lost. Millennials make a difference in people's lives. If you're a millennial, that's just how you're wired. And when we have the name of Jesus to do that with, man, it just, it just blows it up and, and even bigger. But I love the fact that we have this group of, of young parents we're like, yeah, let's go win the loss. By the way, that was an unashamed commercial for Crew Life and a brand new life group here on Wednesday nights for parents of little kids, okay? So if you didn't catch it, I'm just telling you right out, come and join us. But if you were offended um, by last week's message, today you get a little bit less offended because today's one of the greatest things Jesus ever said. In fact, it is so great that we put the word great in the title of what we call it. Let me, but before I tell you what's great, let me remind you of something that is true because this will help to clarify uh, who we are and what we do as a church. Again, this is something that Jesus said and it happened like this. So one day Jesus was walking toward the northern part of Israel towards a city called Caesarea Philippi and he had behind him, kind of tagging along with him, his 12 apostles. And he's talking to them along the road and as they get close to Caesarea Philippi, he turns around and he says to them, asks a question, who do you say that I am? And one of them, Simon Peter, answered, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus gave him an answer in which was this sentence. I want to read this to you because this is something that is absolutely true. I want us to be clear on this before we go any further. In Jesus' answer, he said these words, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, I know there's like a whole lot going on in that one sentence that Jesus spoke, but these are the words I want you to focus on. Jesus said, I will build my church. Okay, it's quiz time. You ready? Question number one, who's going to build the church? Jesus, right? Most people say, we are. No, Jesus just told us he will build his church. Okay, quiz number Question number one, who built the church? Jesus. Who owns the church? Jesus. 
Okay, let's never veer from that. So, so what are we supposed to do? If we're the church and he's building us into the church, then what's our job? I, I, it seems pretty clear. Let's get into God's word and let's just look for the blueprints. Hey, God, you're going to build your church. How can we help? Show us what the plans are. We'll get to work. We'll do what you tell us to do. In fact, that's why we built, that's why we are incorporating what Jesus said from Acts chapter 2 as he builds Grace Collective. That's why we planted Grace Collective Church. But there are churches who seem to be confused on what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, let me explain it like this. I, I, I came across this gem about 15 years ago. So about 15 years ago, there was a prominent company in the United States that makes drill bits. Okay, that, that's, that's what they've been doing for, for all their years. But their CEO was a really visionary guy. He could see the writing on the wall. He wanted to make sure they were heading in the right direction. So he called together his top executives and his top employees. And in that meeting, he asked them one question. What do we make here? What do we make here? And they're all looking at each other like, we make drill bits. We make, we... Finally, one of them was brave enough to raise his hand and answer for all the others and say, we make drill bits. And the CEO said, no, we don't. We make holes. And the moment we forget what we make, we may lose the opportunity to make them. There are some churches who it feels like they've forgotten what we are to make. Jesus was crystal clear when he said he will build his church. So not us, but him. But he's just as crystal clear when he tells us what we do make as his church. We find it in Matthew's gospel. Now, if you're new to church, uh, Matthew's gospel, the word gospel simply equals good news. It is the good news specifically of Jesus. It's, you know, the people, when they are first impacted by Jesus, they're like, oh my gosh, you changed my life. You gave me a whole new lens to look at the world through. You've done amazing things for this life for me, and now I know where I'm going after this life. They were so impacted by it. There's such good news. They said, we've got to call it something. They said, let's call it good news. Like they couldn't come up with anything better. So it became known as the good news or the gospel of Jesus. And Matthew's account um, is called the gospel according to Matthew. It's his biography of Jesus and the good news that Jesus brings. So let me set the scene for what we're about to study this morning. After Jesus was crucified and then raised back to life, he visited with, ate with, walked with, talked with, spent time with, doing life with for about 40 days, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. In fact, more than 500 people at one time. It's one of the, the greatest pieces of evidence we have for the resurrection if you need that thing. But all these people in all these days visited with and were impacted again by now the resurrected Jesus. And what I want to do is show you what happened at the end of those 40 days. Because right before he ascended back to heaven, he asked his 11 remaining apostles to meet him on a certain mountain. And when they did, this is what happened. This comes from Matthew 28. We're going to read verses 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, there's a name for that, right? We call that something. What do we call that in church world? Yeah, anybody's free to answer. Come on. We call that the Great Commission. Thank you, boy. It's like, woo, we're about pouring it out to y'all this morning. Yeah, the Great Commission. Now, let me show you what is so great about the Great Commission. First of all, the grace of Jesus is so great in this Great Commission. Did you notice that? Jesus is just, just dripping with grace towards the 11 on the mountain with him. So the 11 apostles are there because there were, there were 12 and you know, minus Judas. So the 11 are there. And these are the 11 that watched him, walked with him, talked with him, ate with him, lived with him for three years of their lives. The last three years. And then they saw him crucified. And then they saw him raised back to life. And then they, they saw him for those 40 days. They spent time with him. This is not like bloody on the cross Jesus. This was new, clean Jesus. And then when they saw him on the mountain, they worshiped him. But some of them did what? Doubted. Now, if I was Jesus, just be thankful I'm not. But if I was Jesus, can you picture Jesus getting a little frustrated with that? Like, oh my gosh. Do you not remember the last 40 days? Do you not remember what happened on the third day after I was crucified? Go back further. Do you not remember the time y'all were screaming and crying like little girls in a boat? No offense, little girls. Like little babies in a boat. And be careful. Like little, little babies in a boat because the wind and the waves were threatening to destroy you. And you're like, whoa, 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 Jesus, what are we going to do? And I showed you that day, I am God over wind and waves. Or have you forgotten also the time I ran across the top of the water? You're like, oh my gosh, it's a ghost. And it was just me. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm God over these things. Or do you remember the time I raised Lazarus from the dead and you were there? Have you forgotten I am the God of life? I have conquered death? Can't you picture Jesus looking at these guys who, who have been there with him and they're doubting him? Like, why? What gives? Why are you still doubting me? But Jesus doesn't rebuke them. You see what Jesus did? He just stepped right up to them. I love God's grace on the mountain when he's giving the great commission. He just, he just walks right up to them. And he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do, do you know what that means? Just think, think beyond the words. Think beyond the, what you've always read for, for a moment. Jesus standing there saying, Hey, all authority in heaven and on earth and below the earth and in all the universes and all of creation and beyond what you can ever conceive, all of it is mine. Do you know what that means? That all the praise and all the glory and all of the honor goes to Jesus and not to anybody else. No one deserves any praise, any glory, any honor but King Jesus. This is King Jesus over everything. That's what that means. And then he said to them, therefore. And anytime in Scripture you get to a therefore, there's always a before. So the sentence came before that. Hey, because all authority is, is, is His, because all the glory is His, because He is King Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. All 16,000 people groups in the world, almost 7,000 of which have yet to hear the good news. 
Go make disciples of all nations. And in case you missed it, Jesus just told us what we are supposed to make. He is crystal clear in this. What did Jesus tell us we're supposed to make? Disciples. We don't build the church. We make disciples. We make disciples. In one of his letters, Paul, if you don't know who Paul was, Paul was a church hater, becomes uh, an apostle. Uh, he met the resurrected. He never met Jesus. I don't know. Maybe he was probably around the same time as Jesus, but there's no record of him really um, speaking with Jesus until after Jesus was resurrected. And it changed Paul's life. He becomes the greatest missionary the world had ever known. And, and Paul, he wrote like half the letters of the New Testament for us. And in one of them, he, he writes something that's just really, really, really important right here. He writes uh, that we who are followers of Jesus, we who are already disciples, like we're like stones or bricks that God is using to build his church. Like, hey, disciple, 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 just build you all together to form the church. So my image is we don't build the church. We're just making the bricks for God to build the church. Like we make disciples and it gives God more bricks or more stones to build his church. Do you know why a lot of churches are dying? Because they're running out of bricks and not making any more. They're not making disciples. They've lost sight of what we are supposed to make as the church of Jesus Christ. And they're more concerned with things inside the church than reaching the lost outside the church where Jesus says he is more excited and they're not making any more disciples. And now they're losing the opportunity to make them. Let's look at this a little bit deeper. So Jesus said in that sentence, go. And it's not a bad translation, okay? It's not a wrong translation. It just may not be the most effective translation because that that wording in the Greek can also be translated this way, as you go. Or get going. Or my favorite, move. <laughs> how many of y'all, how many of y'all have a, a, a smartwatch? Every once in a while it chimes. And you look at it like, oh, it says move, exclamation point. Because it's like, hey, move. You've been sitting still too long. Jesus just said, hey, move. Church, don't get caught sitting still too long. Move, go, because we need to make more disciples. I love the fact we can translate that move. Don't stay sitting too long. And, and he said this to that whole group of 11 apostles, like all of you, all of you move, all of you go, all of you get going. But I think it's also personal. I think Jesus looked at them and said, hey, you go and you go and you move and you get going and you get going and you move and you go. I, I think it, it, as you go, as you go, and as you go, as you go, as you go for a walk, as you go to work, as you go to school, as you go to practice, as you go to the store, as you go to dinner, as you go shopping, as you go to church, as you go to the movies, as you go, like your going may not be the same as her going, and your going may not be the same as his going, but just get going. Go, move, and make disciples. But how? Like, how? How do, I, how do I make disciples? How do I make them? Well, look what Jesus said next. He said this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Two steps to making disciples. It's super simple. Ready? Number one, baptize. Now, what does that mean? It means connecting people, leading people to Jesus. I know that some of us come from backgrounds or traditions where um, we have to take a different view on this. But let me tell you, biblically, what I understand baptism to mean. Biblically, baptism 
is a celebration of somebody giving their life to Jesus, confessing Christ as Lord, turning from their sin, and beginning to live a new life for Him. And baptism is the outward celebration of what God has done and the decision that, that they have now made. So that's what baptism is. So when, when Jesus says, hey, go start baptizing people, say, hey, begin winning people to me. Connect them to me. When I change their life, then that's step number one. Biblical baptism. May help them make a commitment to Jesus. I, I have, um, I've talked to lots and lots of people. I don't want to offend anybody here, because maybe some of you, but they wanted me to baptize their children, their infants, so that if something happened, their infant would go to heaven. Can I just remind you, listen, listen, baptism is not preventative. Baptism is celebrative, okay? So the first thing you do for making a disciple is lead someone into a relationship with Jesus. We're going to talk more about this really practically next Sunday, but here's the super basic plan you can take home today. Number one, you pray for that person. God, would you be at work in that person's life before I start to work in that person's life? Number two, connect with the person. Hey, want to go grab a cup of coffee? I'd just love to sit down and talk with you. Number three, hear their story. What's the number one thing people want to talk about? Themselves, right? So invite them to. Man, if you say, hey, someone won't talk to me, I have a hard time believing that. If you ask the right question, like, hey, so where is home for you? What do you enjoy doing? And please don't lead in, please, oh, we, guys, 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 we do this all the time because we're so wired with this. What do you do for work? That's what guys ask, right? That's what people do. That's not who they are, okay? So ask questions about who they are. You'll get to the work thing. That'll come out later. But listen, Get to who people are. Let them tell you their story. You listen to their story. And then, number four, tell your story. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be long at all. In fact, we like to talk about your elevator witness or your elevator testimony. Like, the amount of time it takes to go from floor one to floor three on an elevator, you should be able to tell your story. Hey, this is, this is where I used to live. My, kind of like, gosh, I, my story is similar to your story. But this is what God did for me. God rescued me. God changed me. God, God just made my life so much better, made me so much better at life. Can't believe it. Uh, he can do the same thing for you. Ding, floor three, you're done. It doesn't have to be long. Just know your story. And here's the reality. Nobody knows your story, so nobody can tell your story better than you. So, so work on that. Get ready to tell your story. Here's the last thing. Then you connect their story to Jesus' story. Hey, if you want to talk more about this, let me know. Because I know what Jesus did in my life, and he can do it in your life. He set up another time to meet, and you just continue the conversation. So that's step one. Lead people into relationship with Jesus. Here's the next step, making disciples. Teach them everything Jesus commanded. Get into the Bible. Get into God's Word. Show them who Jesus was. Tell them what Jesus did. Uh, let them see that he is who he says he is. And he does what he says he will do. And then you talk about what it means to live that out. The best way, listen, the best way I know to make a disciple is just to hang out with a person as a disciple. As a follower of Jesus, hang out with people you want to become followers of Jesus. None of us are perfect. I know, I know we're scared about stuff. I know like, well, well what if I start talking to somebody and I don't know what to say? What, what if they ask me like where the dinosaurs went? I don't, I don't know how to answer that question. What do they ask me things I don't know about? What do they ask me about? I had to explain the Trinity because like, they heard about that. So I don't, I don't, don't worry about those things. Just tell them what you do know. Start with where you are. 
And tell them you don't have all the answers, but you know the one who does. <laughs> not me, not Jonathan, but Jesus, right? In the Word. And we'll help you find those together. The best way I know to make a disciple is just to be a disciple, hanging out with people who are going to become disciples. Do life together as followers of Jesus, making new followers and growing already followers. We talked about this last week, double impact discipleship, making new and better disciples. Friends, this changes people's lives. You're part of changing people's lives, like your boss's life, your employee's life, your student's life, your girlfriend's life, your neighbor's life, your child's life, your wife's life. This is, this is what's so great about the Great Commission. People's lives get changed by this. Unreached people become followers of Jesus. Now, again, you might be thinking, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. I'm scared to do that. I don't have all the answers. Let me share with you what I think is the greatest, what's so great about the Great Commission. It's the very last line that Jesus spoke. Jesus said this, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You have Jesus with you in this. You are on a co-mission with Jesus Jesus is already at work in you and ahead of you. Let me show you a real-life example of what this looks like. So my, my first mission trip was down in Jamaica. Um, I, I was part of a church where I was a brand new, young, just out of seminary pastor, and I was hanging out with this already retired pastor, and he was leading this trip, and we had a group of our, from our church going down, and we stayed in a place called Port Royal. It's like the southern tip of Jamaica. Let me just say it this way. There ain't no sandals resorts where we were, okay? This is some of the poorest of the poor uh, living in Jamaica. And while we were there, we were... Um, refurbishing a church, helping them get started, doing vacation Bible school, doing adult study. Just, we spent like a week, week and a half with these beautiful, wonderful people in Jamaica. Now, the place that we stayed was a bombed out um, British Navy, uh, Navy barracks. I mean, the third floor, the top floor had no roof anymore. Uh, the walls were all kind of bombed out. There were no windows in any of it. Uh, we were staying on the second floor uh, as guys, ladies had the first floor. There were no windows at all. It was just open air. Uh, where we ate was this covered porch portico, which is really cool because when the, when the Jamaican breezes blow through and you're eating like fresh fruit right off the tree outside the window, it's really, really kind of cool. And I'm sitting there eating breakfast one morning and I see uh, George, who was the retired pastor, walk out of breakfast, go down to the end of the sidewalk to where two Jamaican women we'd never seen before were sitting on the end of the sidewalk. I don't even know they knew we were up there. And George talked to them for 10 or 15 minutes. He came back up. And I said, George, what, what were you doing? He said, well, I just felt like I need to go give those women a Bible. And I saw, he said, I took my Bible down there and I asked if they wanted the Bible and they started crying because they said, we were just sitting here talking and praying, God, would you teach us more of your word? God, would you send somebody to give us a Bible? And George walks up with a Bible. This is Jesus being with you. This is Jesus saying, hey, I'm going to be ahead of you it, be, before you even get to them. It doesn't just happen in Jamaica. This happens in Irwin and North Huntington and Greensburg and York and Penn Township. This, this happens in, in your school and at your work. Every time you step into life with, uh, with your neighbor or your friend or your teammate, or, you're not alone. Jesus is in this with you. It's not always going to happen as easily as that. That was a really great example. 
But it means you get to step into their lives with confidence because Jesus goes with you. So here's, here's the sad thing that I want to tell you about this witnessing. Only 19%, only 19%, right, of, of professing Christians proactively share their faith. 19%. But get this. 79%, 79% of the unchurched tell us they would be willing and open to their friends talking to them about faith. Almost 80% of your friends who are unchurched that you're afraid to approach are like waiting for you and willing for you to say, hey, let me tell you about what I believe about Jesus. Let's work the numbers on this for a moment. There are 348,899 people in Westmoreland County. When you do the math, about 142,000 of them have no relationship with Jesus. That's a number too big for me. Okay, I don't think in big, big numbers like that all the time. So um, I, what I did is I went back and I kind of crunched some different numbers. And I took the zip codes right around our zip code right here at the church. And we're like within like six miles of us. It's not very far, right? How many of y'all live within six miles of the church? Okay, some of us do. Jonathan, you're like, nope, not even close. You're plum. I get it. Uh, but within six miles of right where you're sitting right now, within six miles of Grace Collective, 18,711 people need Jesus. 18,711 people right here need Jesus. That number that still feels big to me. So let me break it down a little bit further. Let me give you one more number. The number one. Because you know someone, and you know someone, and you know someone, and you, you know a one who is out there today that needs Jesus. Who's your one? Who's your one? Who's your one? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to do something for me. When you came in, um, on your chair, you found two note cards and a pen somewhere near you. We ran out of pens, so when you're done today, don't take the pens because we need them. We're, not a, we're, we're a brand new church. We don't have pens. So um, if you want to donate pens, we'd love to bring all your pens in. That'd be great. Uh, so find a pen, share a pen, uh, whatever you have to do. Um, but here you have two note cards. I'm going to ask you to write the name of your one, just first name only. We don't need to know that last name. We're not even going to pay attention to the names. This is just for you. On both cards, like write down your one's name. I've asked you, I, I told you last week, be ready this week, right? So um, if you didn't do your homework, we'll talk later in the principal's office. But right now, if you know your one, write it on both those cards. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do in a few moments. You're going to write on that card, your one, and you're going to bring it up and you're going to drop it in this box uh, in a few moments. Uh, leave the, uh, take the other one ca card with your name home so that you can remember to pray every single day for your one. Now, if you're not yet sure who your one is, then don't fill one out. Take another week to pray about it. But if you're ready, if you know who your one is, then we want you to write that down. Uh, next week when you come in, you're going to see a visual. It's going to help us understand how well we are in striving to reach our ones. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray over you before you write those names down. I'm going to pray for those people and for those of you who are writing the ones down. And then Kylie and the team, they are going to bring a song out over us. Uh, and while they're singing, you can write the name down and bring it up here. When you walk back to your seat, you can remain standing or whenever you're ready, you can stand and join them in singing. Let me pray um, over us.
Lord God, we're about to do something really, really important. We're not just going to think it, we're going to ink it. We're going to write on a card the name of our ones. And Lord God, uh, if people at home, uh, they can just write it on their phone. They can write it on a, on a scrap of paper. Uh, write down your one. And Lord, I pray for all the ones right now that we're writing down. Lord God, I hope to see dozens and dozens and dozens of first names being written down right now. People who we are committing individually to reach in your name. To trust that you're moving ahead of us. To trust that you're going with us. To trust that you are doing work even before we get to work with them. And we pray, Jesus, for the day when each of these ones are no longer the lost, but they are saved. Lord, we thank you for what you are about to do. In your name, Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope you found something practical to use in your life today. At Grace Collective, our mission is to connect people to Jesus. Everyone, everywhere, every day. You can visit gracecollectivechurch.com to learn more about our church and how you can get involved.